0: Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and now we're going to hear him speak through his word. Lest we forget the Bible is the word of God. It's the written word of God inspired by the spirit of God for the people of God, for the people of the world. If you want to hear God speak to you, read the Bible, listen to the Bible being read. As we come to our morning sermon on this Easter Sunday, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter. Part of the grand finale of that chapter are these words before us this morning, verses 54 through 57. The great climax, the great consequences, the the great rejoicing. As the Apostle has spoken of the resurrection of Jesus and what it has accomplished. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word. Beginning in verse 34 in the middle. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. May he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey it. Amen. Amen. Our celebration of the resurrection this morning is a wonderful Reality of history. The tomb of Jesus is empty. No one's ever found his body because he is alive and he's risen, he's ascended into heaven and from there he will return. We celebrate that great resurrection from the dead. We might remember the story of Lazarus or some other Bible figure who came back to life. We would technically call that a resuscitation even after many days because they were brought back to their earthly body and eventually they too would sleep with their fathers. It is Christ who was raised from the dead in a glorified eternal body never to go back his resurrection from the dead. And and we celebrate that in that that meets our greatest need because of the reality of death. So this morning as we celebrate life and resurrection from the dead. We, we, we take our starting point, the situation, the reality of death. Death looms over every human head. The young and the old. The strong and the weak. The well and the sick. It looms over Professional athletes, we saw the unusual death of an NFL budding star. How how does that happen? Or a beloved comedian and TV actor found dead. These things are part of our world. There is a death to be reckoned with, but there's a victory over death. Perhaps in 2022... Uh, In America and in Europe, most certainly people are thinking of death and fear because of the war in Ukraine. And it's on our TV screens and the senseless killing of civilians and uh, this evil afoot causing war and death. And the Ukrainian people, who, who fairly much lived as we do here in Clifton Park, are on the run or they're refugees or they're hiding in their basements wondering if they're going to survive the night And the Ukrainian people have turned to their popular president. He's had a varied career, but he seems to be the man of the hour, President Zelensky. They're looking to him to save them, to help them. Admirably, President Zelensky said this when asked, if he uh, asked questions from the West, he said, the fight is here. I do not need a ride out of here. I need ammunition. And he pleads on the media day in and day out to the people of the West, give me the tools I need to fight and win. Without them, I cannot lead this people to victory. As good a man as he is and as brave and courageous as he is in this hour, he doesn't have in himself or at his disposal the tools for victory. And what a wonderful contrast it gives us as we today here in this service look at the person and work of Jesus Christ who had all he needed to accomplish the greatest victory of history, the victory over sin and death itself. Death will be no more because of Jesus of Nazareth and his resurrection from the dead. We call him the conqueror. He is our champion. He was alive. He was buried And he was raised from the dead. And it seems so long ago. But the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has changed the world. Within 30 years of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, as his disciples spread the message and lives were changed, they ended up turning the world upside down. That was the secular charge. These Christians are just amazing. They're they're upsetting everything. We might say turning the world right side up. They were utterly convinced of the resurrection. It's a historical fact. The scriptures declare it. And it's a reality today that's still saving lives and securing us for eternity. It's giving comfort to people in foxholes, in hospitals, in the workplace, and a sleepless night at home. Christ saves secures and sweetens our life and gives us an eternal life in heaven. The one word I want you to remember today is victory. Or you want to say triumph or champion. Christ is the victor and he has won the victory. And that's what we're here to talk about. I want to start with the, the root problem that he came to solve. And it's implied here in our text. And we have to start here with the root problem because it's not what you think. It's not what the college graduate or the high school graduate might think. They're anxious. Do I get into the right school? Do I get into the right job? Am I going to find any friends? I'm going to miss my friends. Where do I go? What do I do? Will I be able to afford it and pay my bills? They think the, the problem is money or the problem is guidance or the problem is Relationships. How easily we are fooled into thinking our problems are these. If you've lived a little while, I'm not going to ask you if you raise your hand if you've got a few decades on you. You know that money comes and goes. It's not the solution to our deepest problems or to life's significant challenges. Health, wealth, fame that's not the solution. The solution has to deal with the biggest problem. And the biggest problem is death. That's what Paul's crying about here. He's, he's declaiming death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sing? Death is the problem. All men must die. Although we tend to ignore the fact or delay the fact. Oh, I'll schedule that later. It's not in our power. Who knows when our last day will be? The human life is like a book and God is the author. He knows the first opening page and decides when you will be born. And he has written every page in between. He knows when you will die. We don't. Death hangs over all of us. One anonymous writer said, All the world is a hospital and every person in it a terminal patient. Or Sam Waldron, the the Baptist pastor, theologian, said death is not a spectator sport. That's the reality. That's the problem. Death is waiting for us. And why is there death? Well, because we've sinned and we can't solve that puzzle ourselves. We've sinned and the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. We will die not only in the body, but we will have eternal death, says the scriptures. And death, my friend, is armed. Death is said to have a sting. You see this language here. It comes from the Old Testament. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I know some people that are deathly afraid of bees. For some people, a bee sting could be fatal. But not all bees have stingers, and not all bees are aggressive, right? You, you, You learn pretty quick the wasps and the bumblebees and Which ones are the worst? The sting. It's that physical, pronounced, sharp point that can introduce pain and venom and danger and death. But is it possible for death to lose that sting? For death to become something else? Perhaps instead of the end and judgment, it could become a doorway to eternal life without a sting, without a victory, without the fear of death. There's an evangelist from India who died in 2019. His name is Akbar Abdul Haq, H-A-Q-Q. Dr. Akbar Haq from India. He had advanced degrees in philosophy and psychology. He studied Persian and world religions, one of the smart people. He was raised by Christian parents. He immigrated to the United States and he was a professor. And when Billy Graham went to India years and years ago and that he needed a translator, this man was his translator at the Crusades. I mention him because he makes this observation. The very existence of the fear of death, which is the root of practically all human fears, is a clear indication that death is unnatural, even though its incidence is universal death is unnatural when God created the world read Genesis God did not create death death came in through the sin of Adam and Eve and spoiled the world sin death yuck the fear of death is present and the sting of death it's written here in verse 56 quite clearly The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So the problem really isn't death itself. It's what has caused death and why death is waiting for us and why it would have a sting. And the scriptures take us back to sin, and the power of sin is the law. What do these things mean? Well, it's referring to the law of God, the God who made us and put his image upon us, gave to his creatures his moral law, which defines what's right and wrong. And by the law of God, all have sinned and gone astray. There's no one righteous, no, not one. We can read that in the Old and the New Testament. God's law convicts us of our sin. But the law also describes what righteousness looks like. And it also describes how atonement could be made. The problem is, in order to make atonement for sin, there has to be the shedding of blood. And the shedding of blood needs to come from a perfect sacrifice. If I have sinned and the law shows me my sin, have I honored my parents? Have I ever told a lie? Have I ever stolen or cheated or had lust in my heart? Have I ever been ungrateful to God or have ever abused his name? You think of the Ten Commandments, that checklist, that's pretty deadly. Okay, so I've sinned and I'm going to die and I'm going to be guilty before a holy God. How do I deal with that sin? How do I satisfy the law? There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. But I'm a tainted sacrifice. The Old Testament, God gave pictures to his people how this would work. They would pick out a spotless lamb without blemish. And that lamb would be the symbol of God's forgiveness. But it would be pointing ever to the lamb of God that John the Baptist identified when he pointed to Jesus. So the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Our problem isn't that we're going to die. Our problem is our sin and God's judgment and our predicament before the giver of the law. And there's a, there's a kicker here. When we think of law, you know, you, you might boast to somebody, perhaps your buddies, you know, I've never gotten a speeding ticket. Well, you follow that up with, have you ever been speeding? Well, yeah, but I've never gotten caught. You see, the kicker with God's law is its extent. The law of God and the eyes of God see every transgression, not just those that the world sees or hears when they look at your deeds or hear your words. The Lord looks on the heart. And somebody who looks pretty upright, but has sin, covetousness, whatever in his heart, God sees that, And it goes on your rap sheet. John Newton, you've heard of John Newton, author of Amazing Grace. He himself had been a slave trader and then he was soundly converted and served as a humble parish pastor and poet and preacher. John Newton said human laws can only take cognizance of words and actions, but the law of God reaches the thoughts and inward recesses of the heart. Gulp? That's the real problem. A sinful heart. But there's good news. There's good news to that stage and that problem. And as the Bible makes known, there's a victory over death. There's a victory over death's sting. And it all has to do with Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. God the Son come to earth brings victory. Death is deprived of its sting by Jesus. And this verse tells us that. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at that victory next. What is this victory? And and, and I could just say three things about it. I have to limit myself because there's so much that could be said about it. How is it that Jesus brings about a victory and solves this problem for us? And for whosoever believes and calls on the name of the Lord. First, we should point out that Jesus Christ keeps the law. He lived a sinless life. If you remember what we said about shedding of blood and requiring a perfect sacrifice, keep your eyes on Jesus. He was born of a woman, born under the law, the scriptures tell us, yet he was without sin. Hebrews 4, 15 says, we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He's been tempted, fully human. He knows every temptation known to man. Yet, the scriptures say he was without sin. When they arrested him and wanted to put Jesus to death, they couldn't get anything on him. The the guy didn't have any skeletons in his closet. He had no sin. You couldn't dredge up those childhood friends who said, yeah, he stole this once, or he did that, or told a lie. A sinless Jesus, defined by the law. Remember, the law is behind sin and death. And if you break the law, you incur the wages of sin, which is death. Jesus is sinless and he acts as the second Adam in his sinlessness. If you've read Matthew chapter four, you know it describes the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Just one episode from that sinless life. Perhaps at the most acute time when his sinlessness was challenged. Matthew four, you can read it for yourself later on. The spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested said so I'm going to prove to the world that Jesus is sinless because he's going to resist the devil himself. Where Adam and Eve failed, God said don't eat of that tree, they ate of the tree. They sinned. They broke the law. Where God's people who were led into the wilderness to worship God at the mountain, he got them out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh, he fed them miraculously, gave them clothes that wouldn't wear out, took them to the mountain and worship, here's my law and they broke it hint do you remember the golden calf jesus the second adam jesus the son of god the representative to be of god's people goes into the wilderness after 40 days then the devil comes to him when he's weakest he's not just hungry he is weak and emaciated after fasting In the wilderness, the devil comes to him and tempts him three times. If you are the son of God, do this, do that. The devil even threw scripture at him to see if he would bite. But with clarity and help by the Holy Spirit, he said no to every temptation. He rebuked the devil and the devil left him. Christ was victorious. Christ lived a a sinless life. And the life of Jesus lays a foundation for his atoning work on the cross. And our salvation for this victory. You see the victory of Jesus. Has to be done under the law of God. And the justice of God. So the first victory by Jesus is won. Day in day out. By his sinless life. Search the annals of history friends. See if there be any philosopher. Any hero. Any man or woman. Who lived the sinless life. Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Another aspect of his victory was his active defeat of the devil and demons and the the pop-up of sin in the world. Think of the life of Jesus and the various miracles, the various healings. Let's just all bundle them under this middle category. He defeats the enemies of God. Sin, death, devil, And we could sample stories throughout the Gospels. Why do they tell us about these stories? So that we know he's God, he has this power, and it shows us that he is defeating sin and death. Any enemy that has arised in the world, Jesus can can heal it, even if it's just blindness from birth. The guy who's blind from birth, he didn't sin, Jesus said so, but he was created this way in this broken world to show that Jesus has power over the body and over life. The victory gained as he defeats enemies. Here's just a couple samples from Mark chapter 1. No sooner does Jesus begin his public ministry. In Mark chapter 15, his first sermon, Repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark goes on. Mark, this is the gospel that just moves right along. You get the whole life of Jesus in several short segments. In Mark chapter 1, right in the middle of the chapter, he meets a man with an unclean spirit. So this is someone who's demon-possessed. Jesus says, the kingdom's come, I'm the Messiah, and the forces of darkness challenge that. Verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Interesting word. They know what's coming. Jesus is the victor and sin swallows hard. Demons shudder at his presence. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. Whatever the devil's doing in this world, at the word of Jesus, it can stop. At the word of Jesus, it can be turned back. You can read articles in the Atlantic or anywhere. What's in the mind of Vladimir Putin? My friends, it doesn't matter. Jesus, with the word, can stop that man. But in the sovereignty of God, God has things unfolding in this world that we don't always understand. And God often accomplishes his purposes by letting these things happen. But in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, part of his victory is not only his sinless life, but his exercise of dominion over these enemies, whether they're demoniacs and and devils. You know, Jesus came. Here's an Old Testament picture for some of you Bible scholars. You remember David and Goliath? The lesson from the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, thereabouts, isn't go be brave like David. No, it's understand that God will provide a savior like David who can stand up to Goliath, and that's Jesus. He can come to the Goliath of sin and death, a broken world, a system set against its maker. And Jesus has them all outmatched. Demon down, demon out, sickness healed, blindness fixed, lame, walk. That's Jesus, the victor. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes on to teach about the big picture and the defeat of the devil. So let me just reference this in Mark chapter 3 beginning verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub. Let me pause. Jesus had such power, people wondered, okay, maybe he's on the dark side. Possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And Jesus called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. In verse 27, Jesus adds this in Mark 3. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder the house. My friends, Jesus has bound the strong man. The devil himself. Resisted those temptations, lived a sinless life. But now Jesus is on the offensive. I'm coming for you. You're bound. And you'll be going to the lake of fire. i got a reservation for you. My friends, all of this is part and parcel of the victory of Jesus, as the scriptures tell us. He didn't create heaven on earth and say, okay, we're done with everything. No, there's an unfolding as God works out his plan for his glory and life and history and and death and disease and all these things are woven and knit together in a tapestry. But Jesus is Lord of all, He is sovereign, He has bound the strong man. And He can heal any disease, He can fix any injury, He can bind up a broken heart. But he does all things according to his purposes, our all-knowing God. But all the gospels show us his power. And the first people to see Jesus, are just going, wow. What seminary did he go to? Who is this? It was the Son of God. The victory of Jesus included these defeats of the enemy, including the strong man. But there's one more important step for his victory. He didn't just live a sinless life himself and then subdue enemies and deal with evil in the world. He secures victory for us. Here we're talking about how he satisfies the law on our behalf as a sacrifice, as a substitute or capital S Savior. By the resurrection, Jesus secures our salvation. He makes atonement on the cross. And by his resurrection shows that that sacrifice has been accepted. So that he not only vanquishes sin, but he offers us freedom, deliverance. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 has some great language. As Paul writes to Jews and Christians and said, hey... We should all understand that Jesus himself is the only way to God. And this is how we did it. Ephesians 2, the word of God, beginning in verse 14. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law, abolishing the claims of the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, In place of two, in place of Jew and Gentile, one new man, so making peace. And the scriptures continue, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. That's his work. Thereby killing the hostility, death, sting, law. Jesus deals with that on the cross. In verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's the biblical view. Jesus, by the death on the cross, satisfies the demands of the law. It says abolishing the law of commandments, all those guilty charges against you, and God knows all of it, to die It is finished. It's paid by the death of Christ on the cross. For his people. I love the modern hymn. In Christ alone. And it still brings tears to my eyes. To sing it. To know its truth. That refrain. Till on that cross as Jesus died. The wrath of God. Was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ. I live. That's the transaction of the cross. That's good news for us. That is victory over sin for us. His sinless life, his strong deliverance, his sacrifice for sin is offered to us. And Let me finally talk about some of the spoils of Christ's conflict. Excuse me, the spoils of his triumph as the conqueror spoils. We we think of that. That's a a word meaning you're, you're flowing in prizes. Um, if you're a golf fan, you saw recently the the prize given out to the winner of the esteemed Masters Tournament, a green blazer. We forget that a paycheck goes with it and it's gotten quite large, $2.7 million. So that green blazer could be made of gold and the paycheck is still bigger. And I'm thankful that the young man, Scotty Scheffler, who won it is a professing, I think a profound Christian fellow from what I can tell. Praise God. So there are other spoils that go with the jacket and the prize money. He can go back and play in that tournament for the rest of his life. He gets an invitation to be among the greats and all those spoils that follow that victory. Well, what are the spoils of the victory of Christ for us? One that we tend to overlook is mentioned in scripture in Romans 8. All creation will be set free. All creation will be set free. Why do I mention this? Because I think sometimes we over-spiritualize the, the victory of Christ and only talk about the heart and heaven. We forget that the here and now and the created world now and forever is changed by his victory. In Romans 8, beginning in verse 21, it says this. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We see a broken world. We worry about ozone and and melting polar ice caps. And some people worry about climate change more than others. And all these issues. God has a plan for the world he has made. When he made it, he said it is good. And he will remake it. The Bible talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And we will dwell in a physical place. One of the spoils of the cross is that this broken world will be made new. Praise God. But secondly for us, our salvation and our security. I, w- I would put it this way. One of the great spoils is that we are now safe in Christ's love. We are now safe in Christ's love. And that sounds very broad, but that's language that also comes from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 reaches a climax, particularly with these words, verses 38 and 39. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Christians in Christ the conqueror, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. And that's a pretty comprehensive list nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, we are loved now and forever in Christ. It's hard not to be with family or to be apart from one you love. Oh, the grief of saying farewell to a mom or a dad when their life is done. But nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. If you're born again, if you're trusting in him, you will always have your heavenly father's love and your help, his guidance, his wisdom, hope of being with him at his home forever. You're safe in his love. And in the midst of that, you have access to the power of God. Yes, all these wonderful things that are at the, christians disposal ephesians 1 opens with those wonderful claims of of this as paul writes uh, beginning in verse 20 uh, about the working in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority power and dominion and above every name that is named It goes on talking about Christ in his ascension after the resurrection. And it says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of all in him. We have access to the power of God in Christ. We can feel very powerless. I feel powerless often. You visit a hospital room and. I don't know the technology, the medical ways that it works. You feel helpless. Or in a funeral home. Or in the workroom where you've been given a pink slip. You feel helpless and powerless. But you always have the love of God. And you have access to God the Son who has power over all things. And he will lead, and guide, and provide not always what we want when we want it, but in his wisdom. When you feel powerless, it's good to have friends in high places. And it doesn't get any better than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Christians are safe. They have access to his power. And here's just a brief application. Always remember him. As John Newton put it in his sermon on this. He said, consider who he is. What he has done. That the the battle is not so much yours as his. That he is your strength and shield. Or one of my favorite verses. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. He will finish the job. Paul would write to the Galatians who boasted in a lot of things. He said, but far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We share in that changed relationship and have access to that victory. And Christians have the final victory. Here we go. The final victory, eternal life in heaven. The Christian's experience of death is different. I can tell you that. I've read the Bible. And whether you're facing death soon or late, we don't know. But don't fear death. Christ died to take away the fear of death for his people. There's no sting in it. Your death is but a doorway to life everlasting. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you're a believer. Death is changed. That's why Paul uh, taunts it and boasts over it. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death wears your victory. Oh, death wears your string? string. You don't have it anymore for the believer because of Christ. We have the final victory over death. It's changed. In fact, you know that in the Bible, it's very frequently in the New Testament called falling asleep. Yes, it's metaphorical language, but it's used with a purpose. To be honest, I don't really fear falling asleep. And in a few hours this afternoon on the sofa in the visit home, you might just see me in the prone position snoring. For the Christian death. Is but falling asleep in Jesus. Even if it's at the hand of violent men, remember Acts chapter 7, the death of the first martyr, Stephen? He had a long sermon, so it's a long chapter, but when you get to verse 60, it says, Stephen fell asleep in Jesus. We know how he died, it would make headlines. They would warn, the images you're about to see are graphic. But when Stephen died, a martyr's death, the Bible tells us he fell asleep in Jesus. You don't get that anywhere else. You can't be a stoic philosopher or a spiritual person and have that peace. Only Christians fall asleep in Christ. Someone named John Mason said death to a Christian is a putting off of rags for robes. It's just a transition. And that's because of Easter. That's because of Christ and the resurrection. Theologian Robert Lathan says death itself is the last enemy to be destroyed. Having been dealt a death blow at the cross. But awaiting its final abolition. When death is put away. All other enemies of Christ will already be overcome. Death is the last enemy. And when you die and enter into glory, it's all good. No more tears. No more sadness. Just gathered with the Lord and his people. So in closing on this Easter Sunday, you've heard God's word. I trust the spirit of God has made it clear to you what the Bible says about these things. My two words in closing are this. First, turn and then trust. Turn to Christ today. There is no eternal life without him. Alistair Begg teaches on this by talking about life's most important question. Perhaps you saw it. I put it on Facebook. He's such a great preacher. He says, if you were to die tonight and stand at the gate of heaven, what answer would you give to the question, why should we let you in? Do you have an answer for that? Well, let me warn you, if you answer and say anything that begins really with the first person, well, I have faith, I know this, I know that, I did this, I did that, eh, that's not the right direction to go. Not a first person answer. You need a third person answer. You need to stand there and say, I'm only here because of him, because of Christ. Christ. And Alistair Begg goes on to illustrate that by pointing us to the the thief on the cross. You remember when Christ was crucified on Calvary, we know there were at least three, there were probably more, three crosses. And there was someone crucified on either side of Jesus. One reviled him, well, they both reviled him, but eventually the thief on the cross had a change of heart. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So the thief on the cross showed up at the gates of heaven. And they said, why should we let you in? He couldn't say, I went to church a lot. He couldn't say, oh, I read the whole Bible twice. He couldn't say, I know the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I can articulate it with footnotes. He didn't say my dad was a pastor. He didn't say I gave millions to charity. He had one answer. And it was the right answer. He said, the man on the middle cross said I could come friends there's no victory and there's little help in life without Christ turn to him don't just assemble your own religious resume and think you're piecing life together it's because of Christ are you trusting Christ We need to trust and serve him today. The last word comes from verse 58, the last verse of the chapter, which we didn't read earlier. Because death no longer has a sting and Christ has the victory and he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So turn and trust Jesus and then serve him with joy, with hope, being steadfast. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. People may laugh at you for being a Christian, for reading the Bible, for going to church. What's with that? You tell them what's with that. Tell them Christ has won the victory over my greatest need. And he has given me riches supernal heaven itself. Turn to Christ, trust Christ, save Christ for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this day for your work in our midst, speaking to us from your word afresh today. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for the historic life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which has changed the planet Earth. We thank you for including us in your kingdom if we've come to Christ. And we thank you that the doors of heaven are still open, open now, open here and now to whosoever calls on the name of the Lord that they may be saved. Father, may many claim the victory of Christ for themselves and go forth with joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.